Hey, yo, listen. If you lied on that PPP loan application and you didn't spend most or all of that money already, man, listen, I hope you enjoyed your best life because it's a good probability that your ass is going to jail. Let's talk about it. Hey guys, welcome to the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast. I'm your host, Frederick D. Scott. I'm a private equity investor, business consultant, philanthropist, author, and contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine. I have over 15 years of experience in the finance industry, and I used to own an investment banking and advisory firm. Currently, I hold designations as a financial modeling and valuation analyst, capital markets and securities analyst, commercial banking and credit analyst, and I also hold a diploma in Islamic finance. And today is hashtag Situation Saturday. This is the time during the week that I come on and I take current events relative to the business and finance sector. I bring them back to the community. I break them down so everybody can understand it and we can together hashtag make it make sense. Now, before I get into today's topic, I need everybody to hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification, leave me a comment at the bottom of this episode to let me know what you think. And if you haven't already and you're on an Android phone, I need you to hit that join button. And if you're on an iPhone, I need you to hit the link in the description or the link pinned to the comments of this episode so you can join the hashtag Real Woke Live Chat community and be eligible to participate in the hashtag Learn to Earn Cash giveaway, where I give away a minimum of $1,000 every month live right here on the hashtag Get Real Woke podcast. All right, let's go ahead and get into today's topic. So today I want to do a PPP loan update. And the reason why I decided to do this podcast episode is because, you know, I, of course, like everyone, I'm on social media and I was on Instagram and a, a, a image came across my newsfeed from Baller Alert saying that this gentleman by the name of uh, Maurice Fain, Mo Fain, I guess he was a loving hip hop uh, celebrity uh, or a loving hip hop reality TV show star. Uh, had been sentenced to 17 years for uh, PPP loan fraud, basically. That, that's what it boiled down to. And so, you know, I kind of want to talk about this. I want to go through this. So for those of you who don't know who Mo Fame, Maurice Fain, Arkansas Mo, I mean, he's got a couple of different monikers that he goes by. Let's go ahead and let me share my screen. And I'm going to play a couple of things so you guys can kind of catch up to what's going on and then we're going to go ahead and break this down. So let, 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 let's go ahead and start with that, right? So let me go ahead and share my screen here. 
Uh, let me make sure I got the audio on. Yeah, got the audio on. So let's go ahead and play this right here. Show personality is now facing federal bank fraud charges. Newsnet reporter Alex Whitler has been following the story since it broke and has all the details. Now, mind you, before we continue with this video, I, I want you to know that this was before uh, the sentence came down. So I'm kind of backing up into this to give you a little bit of a breakdown of how this went down and, and what was said. So let's go ahead and get back to it. Maurice Mo Fain is out on bond, but authorities say they're monitoring him closely because not long after FBI agents interviewed him, he used his cell phone to look up countries with no extradition laws. Our cameras were rolling as Maurice Fain, who goes by the name Arkansas Mo, checked his mail Wednesday after his release on a $10,000 bond. The 37-year-old sole owner of Flame Trucking, who can be seen on episodes of Love & Hip Hop Atlanta, is in trouble with the feds for alleged fraud. U.S. Attorney B.J. Pack says the reality TV personality's April 15th loan application stated his business had 107 employees. Fain applied for a more now mind you this was april 15th of 2020 this was just last year so i i i want to highlight that but let's go ahead and continue because that's very important three million dollar loan to maintain payroll and other payments documents show the bank gave him a more than two million dollar loan days later the u.s attorney's office says Fain used more than half of that to buy a rolex presidential watch a diamond bracelet five carat diamond ring, Lisa Rolls Royce, and pay $40,000 for child support. And because the, the need for us to get these monies to people who actually need it, our investigation is very fast and we're, they're hypervigilant even during this time when we have a little slowdown because of coronavirus. May 6th, federal agents interviewed Fain, who admitted to applying for a loan, but denied spending the money on anything but his business. Here's door cam video from a neighbor showing multiple police vehicles pulling up to the TV personality's driveway. That was May 11th, when agents searched Fain's Decula home and seized roughly $80,000 cash. Mm. According to the affidavit, mm. investigators found stacks of cash and bundles of money in envelopes. The document says agents found more than $9,000 in his pockets. Case be an example to those who may think about applying for these funds and funding other things other than payroll. That the federal government will, is watching and we will come and investigate you if you do in fact um, divert these funds for other purposes. According to Arvest Bank, Flame Trucking's account was closed September 17th, 2019. Alex Whitler, Fox 5 News. Okay, so let's let's now that was now as you can see that was the actual charge. That's what happened. He got arrested. Now let's go ahead and take a look at what the consequences were. Let's take a look at this sentencing and then we're going to step into this and break this all the way down real nice and decent. But let's go ahead and and, and get to the sentence. Cuz the sentence is 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 interesting here. Like how this played out is really interesting. So let me go ahead and uh play this right here. So you can kind of read along with it and kind of see what they did and, and how that sentence. You see, you got 17 and a half years uh, for, for this crime right here, this PPP loan fraud. 17 and a half years is a lot of time, but we're going to talk about that in a second.
Okay, very cool. So that's that right there, right? So now let's go ahead and, and get into this and break this down because I think this is really, really important. All right. So as you see, uh, Mo Fain, Maurice Fain, uh, Arkansas Mo, however you want to call him, engaged in PPP loan fraud to the tune of millions of dollars, uh, roughly uh, the attempt was three and a half million dollars. And I'll share that with you in a second. And essentially when he went up for sentencing, which just recently happened, the judge gave him 17 and a half years, right? Now, now a lot of people are saying that's egregious. That's a lot of time. I've seen a lot of comments on this and a lot of people had said that that was egregious and that was a lot of time. So let's kind of back into this a little bit. And, and from experience, I, I'm going to talk through this situation. So number one, right, I need people to understand because I think a lot of people that are doing this uh, and, and, and what, we're, what, what is being discovered as these cases continue to roll. And by the way, there are a lot more of these cases that are working their way through the legal system now. And that is going to increase quite substantially at this point, given the fact that now PUA is over, stimulus is over, the Department of Justice is really you know, beginning to ramp up investigations, indictments, and convictions on PPP loan fraud because of the amount of fraud that took place uh, in the PPP loan process and EIDL process. So there is a lot of uh, things still to come. But if you remember, I talked about this in my PPP loan processing secrets uh, video. I kind of explained how it all went down. So, and I explained to you kind of how the financial institutions work and, and how it is that you get caught long before you even know you got caught, right? So that's the thing. If you haven't watched that episode, I definitely recommend that you go back and watch that episode. And I'm definitely going to pin that to the end cards, but let's go ahead and get into this. So number one, I need people to understand that this is not the state. A lot of people that are engaging in PPP loan fraud at this point, uh, what's being discovered is these people have prior criminal records already. They likely have felonies already. They've already been to prison before. And so they kind of have a pattern of, of this type of behavior. And so the thing about it is, and what I need you to really understand here is that you know, a lot of these people, they did state time, right? And state time is a lot different than federal time. See, in the state, you know, you can get like a one to three, a five to 10. And, you know, you if it's a, a white collar crime, nonviolent, I mean, you're not going to do most of that time, right? So if you get a one, do three or a three, do one or something like that, you'll, you know, you, you might have to do a year. But by the time they cut time for overcrowding and things like that, you may only do six months. So people are used to, you know, stay time where they can get a slap on the wrist. They don't really get a lot of time, you know, five years and below. And that's cool for them, right? They're like, okay, for a few million dollars, I'll go ahead and, and, and do five years or do 24 months or do a year, et cetera, et cetera, right? So a lot of these people are used to doing that state time. They're not really used to how the feds work. And so I kind of want to break down how the feds work because the feds are much different, right? And what you need to know is that fed, the, the federal government, the FBI, the, the DOJ, the DEA, the SEC, the IRS Enforcement Division, Department of Homeland Securities, Immigration Customs Enforcement, Department of Treasury Agents, et cetera, et cetera. Now these, all these organizations are stepping up more now and where it used to be a situation where you know, a lot of crimes were just left to the state. 
That's not the case anymore. The feds are increasingly stepping up their jurisdiction uh, in cases that were that used to be at one point in time something left to the state. So you're seeing a lot more low-level kind of charges uh, at the federal level. And that's really, really interesting when you really think about it, right? So let's go ahead and break this down. So first of all, what you have to understand in the feds, right, when you're facing fed time, before we even get into that, let me just tell you that PPP loan fraud is automatically federal. That's going federal no matter how you cut it. You're not going to see a state. Uh, uh, you may get arrested by state officers initially, but this is going to go federal. Why is that? The reason why that is, is because you have to understand that when you file a PPP loan application, you're filing to a federal agency. You're filing to the Small Business Administration. That is very much a federal agency. And so just on that alone, this automatically goes federal if you conduct fraudulent behavior in any point in time in the process. Number two, you have to remember that at the end of the day, you're trying to get a loan. That loan is going to come from a deposit-taking institution, a financial institution, a bank. And so banks, even if they, if they have a federal charter, if they have a state charter, it really doesn't matter because all deposit-taking institutions have what we call FDIC insurance the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. That is a federal agency. And at that point in time, when you defraud a financial institution in any way, shape or form, understand that that's automatically going federal because they have a federal agency that provides them uh, 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 deposit insurance. So that's very important to understand too. So number one, out the gate, PPP loan fraud. If you did any PPP loan fraud, if you lied on that application, you are going federal. You are not going state. Now that we got that covered, I need you to understand another thing. The feds and not the state. In the feds, you are going to do 85% of your time. And that is provided that you don't get into any trouble while you are incarcerated. What does that mean? That means that you don't violate any of the prison rules and regulations and end up getting some sort of prison write-up, what is known as a shot. You get a prison write-up and you lose good conduct time. Then when that happens, you end up doing longer than 85%. But if you just stay out the way, stay out of trouble, you don't get any prison infractions, you don't catch a new charge while you're in prison, you're going to do 85% of the time. The only exception to that is if you are able to get into what's called RDAP, the Residential Drug Abuse Treatment Program, right? If you can get into that program, you automatically get a year off your sentence, but you still do close to 85% of the time, even with a year off of your sentence. So we're just going to leave it at the fact that in the feds, you are going to do 85% of your time. There is no shortcut around that. You do 85% of whatever that sentence ends up being, 85%. Hold that. You're doing 85%. So let's get that out there for the record, right? So that's number one. Number two, I need you to understand that there are a number of different factors that go into uh, a federal sentencing. Federal sentencing, for the most part, is based on what are called United States sentencing guidelines, right? And how do United States sentencing guidelines work? Okay, let me show you, because we're going to run through this together. Okay, first of all, I want to share my screen, and I want to share with you a highlighted part 
from Mo Fain's case that we need to really pay attention to here because it's important. Okay, now, what you'll see here is I've highlighted the fact uh, that they actually broke down exactly what you know, he spent that money on. That's because the banks were tracking his transactions, right? So it was very easy, you know, for the, the prosecutors and the investigators to look at his bank statements and see where the money went. But what you'll also notice here is that in April, 2020, Fane submitted a $3.7 million PPP loan application. Okay, let's talk about that. Now, did he actually get $3.7 million? No, he didn't. He got somewhere around, I think it was a little over $2 million in, in the actual loan. But when you deal with the federal government when it comes to these type of cases, because this is a fraud case at the end of the day, the federal government, the Department of Justice has the right to charge you for not only actual loss, that means the loan money you actually got, but intended loss as well. And what is intended loss? Intended loss is the amount of money that you attempted to get. So for example, he submitted a loan application for a $3.7 million PPP loan. Even though he didn't get $3.7 million, the federal government still charged him for the entire $3.7 million because he intended to get that much money. And so unfortunately at the federal level, and this doesn't really happen at the state level, but at the federal level, right? They can actually charge you for intended loss. They can do that, right? And they do it regularly. So I wanted to point that out because that's very, very, very important. The other thing that I want to point out, and I'm going to share my screen again so I can point this out because this is going to go to the heart of something else that I'm going to be talking about here in just a second. I want you to note here that, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, okay, so here it is, right here. According to the acting U.S. Attorney Erskine, the charges and other information presented in court for March 2013 through March 2020 Fain ran a multi-state Ponzi scheme that defrauded more than 20 people who invested in his trucking business. Okay, we're going to start right, stop right there. So what you see here is that he already had charges and had already gone through a federal process already uh, for a previous crime, a Ponzi scheme, right? So likely he was on his way to or had already been sentenced. And that's very important to understand when we start looking at these United States sentencing guidelines so you can begin to understand how sentencing works at the federal level. Okay, now, so as I told you, sentencing at the federal level, because we're going to jump into this now. So sentencing at the federal level, right, is generally guided by what are called the United States Sentencing Guidelines. And the United States Sentencing Guidelines are put out by the United States Sentencing Commission. And what are sentencing guidelines? Sentencing guidelines are a recommended range of time based on a number of factors, and I'm gonna show that to you in a second, based on a number of factors that a judge should consider for sentencing. So it's a guideline range, right? And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more in a second and you'll understand. Now, the truth of the situation is majority of the time, right? The judge, while these are recommended, they're not required guidelines. So the judge can what we call depart upward or downward from the sentencing guidelines. So what does that mean, right? So a downward departure means they go under the recommended sentencing range for that crime. 
going above or departing above the sentencing guidelines means they go higher than the recommended guideline range for that sentence, right? And the judge can do that pretty much uh, of their own will and accord. So what we would say sua sponte, right? Uh, in legal terms, it would be sua sponte um, of one's own accord voluntarily. Now, there are some exceptions to that. If there is a mandatory minimum in place, what that means is that the judge can go higher but they can't go below the mandatory minimum. A good example of this is if you get hit with identity theft. So identity theft carries a mandatory sentence of at least 24 months. The judge separate outside of a cooperation agreement that will allow you to get under the guidelines unless you are unless you pull a Takashi 69, you're not getting under that mandatory minimum. So that means that if you don't do a Takashi 69, because there's a 24 month mandatory minimum, you are guaranteed to get at least 24 months. The judge is hand, the judge's hands are tied. They cannot go below that 24 months. Now, beyond that, right? So beyond that, let, let, let's jump to this now, right? The mandatory minimum has nothing to do with them going higher than the mandatory minimum or outside of the guidelines in an upward departure. They can do that, right? So let's talk about that. So when you look at Mo Fain's case, and we really need to look at this Mo Fain case, now that you know what the case is about, what the loss amount is, let's figure out how it is that they could have potentially gotten to that sentencing. So number one, you have to consider there are two things that go into sentencing. One is the, 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 the criminal history category, and number two is the nature of the crime and all the things uh, surrounding the nature of the crime. So let's get into that. So first of all, we have to look at criminal history category. And how does criminal history category work? Let me show you. I'm going to show you the guideline manual. So here we go. Boom. Now, what you see is they have a criminal history category, right? And the way you determine the category is very simple. You add three points for each prior sentence of imprisonment exceeding one year and one month. You add two points for each prior sentence of imprisonment of at least 60 days, not counted in all. You add one point for each, each prior sentence not counted in A or B up to a total of four points of this subsection. Add two points if the defendant committed the instant offense while under any criminal justice sentencing, including probation, parole, supervised release, imprisonment, work release, or escape status. Add one point for each prior sentence revolting from a conviction of a crime of violence that did not receive any points under A through C. Okay. So this is how we determine criminal history category. This is how it's determined under the United States sentencing guidelines. So for example, we know already that Mo Fain had already, is already going through a situation based on uh, a prior uh, uh, Ponzi scheme, which just concluded in 2020. So that means already we know that he's got three points for a prior sentence because we're going to go ahead and assume out the gate that he this is not his first time in trouble, his first felony, or his first time doing some jail time. So we're going to add three points for that. But we're going to add another two points because at the end of the day, let's remember that he is already 
going through another situation. So there's two points here, right? There's two points added for that. So we've got a criminal history category score of five. So we're going to come back to that. We're going we're gonna to come right on back to that. Give me a second. We're going to come back to that. Now, the, now we got the criminal history category score, which is five, right? Five. We're going to come back to that. Now, now the second part of the sentencing guidelines calls for now figuring out the nature of the crime, what is being charged, and it, because this is a fraud, the loss amount, et cetera, et cetera. Now, let's pull that up and let me share with you how that works because this is, this is really, really interesting, right? So as you can see, this is all scoring. This is all based on scoring. It's not hard. To, it's not really hard to do it if you know where to go get the information. Now, here we go. Here is what he's charged with. So he's charged with a fraud, right? So he's charged with fraud. And so that would be under the sentencing guidelines 2B1.1, which covers larceny, embezzlement, embezzlement, and other forms of theft, offenses including stolen property, property damage, or destruction, fraud, and deceit, forgery, offenses involving altered or counterfeit instruments, other than counterfeit bearer obligations of the United States, et cetera. So now in all fraud convictions in, in the United States, it carries a statutory maximum of 20 years, right? So that is the top, the most time that a judge can give you is the statutory maximum. And, and for this type of crime, because it's fraud, the statutory maximum is 20 years. So you can get up to 20 years. Now, so based on that type of crime, the base offense level, because it carries a statutory maximum of 20 years, right, is seven. So you start off with seven points when we're figuring out your sentence. Now, there are aggravating factors that increase this. So let's go to number nine, because number nine is an aggravating factor for him. So number nine, and I'm just going to get into it here a violation of any prior specific judicial or administrative order, injunction, decree, or process not addressed elsewhere in the guidelines. So remember, he just finished a Ponzi scheme in 2020. He's already dealing with that. So he's already under an administrative order not to violate the law any further. And he just has. So he has to increase by two levels. If the resulting offense level is less than 10, increase to level 10. Well, remember, right? Remember. So based on the baseline offense level, he's at level seven. We're going to increase by two levels, though, and I'm going to show you why, right? So we increase by two levels there, and that brings us to nine. But now wait. He's got a loss amount. Remember, he's getting charged for actual and intended loss. Actual and intended loss there's more than 3.5 million, right? Because his actual intended loss, if you remember, was higher than that. So you have to add 18 points just for that. So you add 18 points for that plus the seven on the base level offense. Now, remember he got a two point enhancement under number nine. So you have to add two more points for that. And then if you go down to number 17, cause he would have qualified for that as well, Apply the greater if the defendant derived more than a million dollars in gross receipts from one or more financial institutions as a result of the offense, increased by two levels. So he gets another two points for that. 
So when you really look at it, so so boom, I'm gonna stop sharing this screen because we didn't got all the points to the situation now, right? Now, when you calculate all of those points up, what we come to now is a score of 29, 29. Now, how does that, all of this is criminal history and the score from his offense category and all the factors that go into that, how does that affect the sentencing? Let's take a look, right? Okay, so I'm gonna share my screen again and we're gonna go through now the sentencing, the actual sentencing factor here. Here we go. Here is the United States guideline sentencing. Now, the interesting thing is we know that he has five points at least so that puts him in criminal history category three, four, five, or six points. His offense level is 29. How does that play out from a guideline standpoint? As you can see, the guideline range is 108 to 135 months. That is a lot higher than what you would normally expect to see in a state case. That's out of the gate based on all of the factors, right? But if you calculate 108 to 135 months, what you find out is he got a lot more time than 108 to 135. And I'm going to talk to you about that why in a second. But now, even if we went to criminal history category six, which is the highest level you can go to, he would have still, the guidelines call for 151 to 188. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen here. So you see how that time played out right there. That's a lot of time. Now, here's the thing. What we see already is based on the guideline range for the, the level of the crime, the sentencing, the dollar amount of loss, the enhancements, all of the aggravating factors. What you see is that based on that guideline range that I shared with you, right, based on his sentence of 17 and as 17 and a half years, basically, what you realize here is that the judge departed upward over and above the sentencing guidelines. Why might that be? So first of all, is it illegal for the judge to do that? Well, I covered that earlier. The answer to the question is unequivocally no, right? Provided that the judge can justify going over the guidelines and states that justification at sentencing, that is completely and utterly okay. What are aggravating factors that might have caused the judge to depart upward? So number one, he's already in another situation, right? He's already ran a years-long Ponzi scheme that defrauded people out of $5 million. He's already going through that, and yet he's still engaging in another fraudulent activity. That is some stuff that will piss a judge off real quick. And because what they're going to say is that you have not learned your lesson, you are still perpetuating fraudulent schemes. And so therefore, the guideline range suggested here is not uh, applicable to your specific situation. More harsher uh, uh, sentence needs to be imposed to deter others from doing the same thing. Right. Boom. Now, that's number one. Number two, he defrauded the SBA. Right. So that's a federal agency. That's never a good look to a judge. Number three, you defrauded a financial institution at the same time. And number four, right, another aggravating factor is the rampant amount of PPP loan fraud that took place here. Judges are at this point sentencing very harshly for PPP loan fraud. Why? 
because at this point, they're trying to send some very strong messages that this is not the game you play with the federal government, right? And so you're going to see a lot of sentencing that departs upward uh, in, re in relation to the United States sentencing guidelines, right? So there's that. Now, do I think that his sentencing was egregious? Well, I'm not, I, I can't really say one way or the other. I think that it was very silly of him to, to engage in PPP loan fraud. I think that was very silly. Um, I think that when you make a conscious, intentional choice to do something, you got to kind of deal with the consequences that come along with that choice. And these are the consequences. He left his hands in the fate of a judicial system that has been historically not very favorable to disenfranchised communities of color. As a member of a disenfranchised community of color, it's probably not a smart idea to leave your future and, and, and your freedom in the hands of, of, the, of the slanted criminal justice system that we have in the United States. But you have to understand something else. And now I'm gonna speak from personal experience here Right. And for, for those of you who follow me, you guys know that I did some time. So that's why I'm such an expert on the United States sentencing guidelines. Right. I wanted to make sure that this could never happen to me again. So, you know, I, I, I did a lot of research and a lot of study on this. So I know this stuff very, very well from firsthand experience. Now, so so I got to tell you that, like, you know, looking at this situation, I I just, you know, like. I, I just understand the time that goes into these types of situations. So for me, at this stage of my life, at least, I never want to have another run-in with the feds. So I definitely cross all my I's, dot all my T's. I'm very careful who I associate with. Uh, and I don't engage in no type of foolery, gray area, none of that. Because, again, I know the type of time that you can get at the federal level. And I, I'm not trying to deal with it. Like, I, I'm good on that. Like, I, I like my freedom. I enjoy my freedom. I enjoy being able to pick and choose what I want to do. And I'm not interested in waking up to some, you know, correctional officer trying to tell me what I got to do with my time. You know, I never forget it because, you know, like for a long period of time uh, during my sentence, I was at a federal prison camp, which is like Club Fed. And, you know, we had the cell phones going and I'll never forget when a correctional officer came in and said, yeah, y'all got these cell phones. Y'all think y'all getting away with something, not understanding that y'all got to get right every single time. I only got to get right once. Yo, that sat with me different. Yo, that hit me different because he was absolutely right. Yo, when you're doing wrong, then you got to be 100% on point. All you got to do, all, 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 all the authorities got to do is catch you once and then you finished. It's over with for you. It's over with for you. And that's the thing about that. So I wish people would have thought more about that. But now, a lot of you guys are probably going to say, hey, you know, well, he got caught with a lot of money. He tried it for a lot of money. I ain't really do that much. Like, I, I got like 10000 20000 100000 250000 I'm good, man. They're probably not thinking about me. Absolutely incorrect. The federal government is aggressively prosecuting all PPP loan fraud because at this point, it has been so egregious. They are trying to make as many demonstrations as they can. And the moment you decide, decided to defraud that federal uh, uh, government agency and that financial institution that has that federal insurance in place, uh, you open the door for this. You open the door for this point blank period and they come in for you. So I, as I said initially, yo, I really hope you lived your best life out there in them streets uh, that you got all the Miami out your system. Because one thing about it, boy, when them feds come knocking, 
yo, the feds do whatever they want. They go, they gonna get you, they gonna hit you, they gonna punish you. You're gonna do some real time. The federal government hands out football numbers. This ain't just this is not state. The game different around here. Stop playing with these people because these people will give you some real time to really sit around and think about. You're gonna really take a time out dealing with these folks. I mean, hell, I was a First time offender had never been in any trouble before. And while it was questionable how they did me, it was, it was dirty business. At the end of the day, at sentencing, I got 63 months, top of the guidelines, top of my sentencing guidelines. I got the whole 63. I did 85% of that time. I'm telling you, listen, that's a lot of time. Like for a lot of y'all saying five years ain't that much. Hell, do it then and find out. It's a lot of wasted time. Like, listen, like, bruh, stop playing with these people. So, you know, now one of the things I do want to share is this, you know, because a lot of y'all are probably freaking out right now because you're realizing how serious this time is and what it really looked like and how these feds really play with these guidelines and all of that. So you're probably wondering, and oh, by the way, just in case you didn't know right before I got out, right? They had uh, sent out a memorandum. The United States Sentencing Commission had actually sent out a memorandum letting everybody know that they were going to be strengthening the sentencing guideline ranges for fraud. Now, why is that? So remember that, you know, white collar crimes, fraud, things like that, embezzlement, things like that, insider trading. These used to be primarily Caucasian crimes. Right. So, of course, you know, if you know anything about the criminal justice system, you know there is a disproportion in sentencing between Caucasian people and disenfranchised communities of color. So now in these days and age, because a lot of our community is engaging in credit card scams, check scams, things like that, these are white collar crimes, these are fraudulent crimes, the United States Sentencing Commission decided they would get harsher on the convictions because they see an uptick now, they didn't say this part publicly, but I'm, you know, it's not hard to see when you look at historical sentencing. Uh, there's an uptick, a substantial uptick in the uh, difference in demographics of people that are committing fraudulent crimes at this point. So they are, they have strengthened the sentencing guidelines. So, I mean, the sentencing guidelines used to not be that severe uh, for these types of crimes. They have definitely, and just looking at the guidelines right now, which all I can see, they have definitely strengthened up and are handing out far more time at this point uh, than they were uh, previously. So I just want to put that out there for the record too. Now, so what do you do? Now you watch this podcast episode, you realize that it's a good probability that your ass is going to jail because you done lied on that PPP loan application. And now you're trying to figure out, man, they ain't knocked on my door yet, but man, I, I'm scared. I, I want to make it right. How can I make it right? Okay, let's talk about that. So first of all, I hope you still got a substantial amount of that money saved up somewhere that you ain't spend it all because it's a lot easier to negotiate. It's a lot easier. First of all, you're going to need a lawyer. Let's start there. So you get your lawyer money up because you're going to need a paid attorney to, to begin negotiating this process, right? So you got to get a paid attorney. You got to get a good one, right? A good one, not a poop, but you're going to need a good one for this. If you have a substantial amount of that money left over, you know, your lawyer can reach out to the prosecutor's office, can reach out to the financial institution that you got the loan from and negotiate a payback where you can just give the money back for either no conviction or a substantially less severe conviction. You might even be able to negotiate what's called a deferred prosecution agreement, whereby, you know, you agree to plead guilty uh, to the charges, 
but the charges and conviction and everything are deferred for, let's say, three to five years. And as long as you do the right thing over the next three to five years, then those charges will be dismissed and it'll be like it never happened. So that's a deferred prosecution agreement, right? So that's possible. But in order to be able to have this level of discussion, you got to have a substantial or all of that money to be able to give back. If you ain't got none of the money to give back, you don't have much negotiation leverage. I'm going to just keep it real with you. So if you went down there, you know, if you were a dude, you went down there tricking on the hoes, you know what I mean, over there at uh, down in Miami or down in Atlanta or in Puerto Rico or wherever you was at. If you was down there tricking on them, hey, man, I hope it was worth it because, boy, they going to be on to the next that got a bag while you rotting away in prison. I'm just put that out there. If you one of those chicks, you know, if you want to, if you a chick that went out and did this, yo, I hope you got thirty thousand pairs of shoes. I hope you got the flyest weave you could possibly get in all the outfits you like, and I hope you got to wear them all. Cause uh, the outfit you're gonna be wearing in a second is gonna be green if you go to a camp and beige if you go to anything else. So I just want to share that with you right there. So you know, if you ain't got none of that money left over, hey, get ready to you know get fitted for you know that 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 green or that gray uh khaki suit. Cause that's what you're gonna be wearing. That greener, I'm sorry, that greener, that beige khaki suit with your black boots. Get ready. Cause that's what you're gonna be in. So, you know, I I, I did, listen, you know, I didn't know is not a defensible excuse under federal law. You can't say I didn't know, I didn't mean to. Intent is established the moment you lied on that application. You knew you was lying, so that's quick, easy intent to establish. Moreover. Uh, at the end of the day, you got the money, and especially if you ain't spend it on your business, you spent it on a whole bunch of foolery. So, you know, you ain't have no reason out of money anyway. And it's so easy. And I'm not going to get into all the ways where you, where they were able to figure it out. Cause I covered that in my PPP loan process secrets, uh, uh, podcast episode. So I'm going to go ahead and pin that to the end cards. You know, y'all go ahead and check that out. But, um, but yeah, listen, that's about the only way you're going to be able to work it out if you, got, if you got some money to give back. You ain't got no money to give back. Hey, baby, get ready, get ready, get ready because they coming and they ain't playing no games. They come for real. All right, y'all? So that's all I got for y'all today. I hope y'all enjoyed this podcast episode. I heard you learn. I hope you learned something. And uh, I hope that uh, if you still got some of that money, you start taking some proactive approaches to get it back to the people and start working out a negotiation because uh, one thing about it, uh, if, if you don't, uh, yeah, you're going to do some time. Uh, so, you know, if I can, I just want to get down to my people here, Demetrius. Hey, I'm glad you enjoyed the information. Uh, get, get wrecked. Hey man, how you doing, baby? Appreciate y'all. Hey, listen, I hope all of y'all love this episode. I hope you learned something. I hope that you, it encourages you to think smarter moving forward. Stop doing dumb stuff. Number two, and number three, take a proactive approach to getting this together. All right? Yo, listen, hit the like button. If you like this content, I need you to hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell notification. Definitely leave me a comment at the bottom of this episode. Let me know what you think. If you haven't already and you're on an Android phone, I need you to hit that join button. And if you're on an iPhone, I need you to hit the link in the description or the link pinned to the comments of this episode so you can join the hashtag real woke live chat community and become eligible to participate in the hashtag learn to earn cash giveaway where i give away a minimum of a thousand dollars every month 
live right here on the hashtag Get Real Woke Podcast. Additionally, definitely check the links in the description because I got free resources available for you there. Like I got all the credit repair letters you need. Like those are free for you. Uh, my budgeting worksheet, the spreadsheet that I created for you to be able to create your own budget. Uh, definitely got that going too. That's for hashtag for the free right there. So definitely check out those free resources. Also in the link, I definitely in, in the description, I also have a link to the books I've written. So, you know, if you're interested in taking a deeper dive into a number of the topics that I talk about uh, on my hashtag for the free Friday, I definitely encourage you to check out uh, the books that I've written uh, and definitely get deeper into this thing and, and, and learn more and more and more. Anyway, y'all listen with that. That's all I got for y'all today. Oh, one more thing. Yo, before I forget, how could I forget this? Y'all, I appreciate all my subscribers, all my listeners, people that share my content, you know, people that continually show up week after week after week to support this podcast. I really appreciate that. It's because of you guys that we are continually growing. So, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be here without y'all. And, you know, I do this for y'all. So thank y'all so much. Continue to like, continue to subscribe, continue to share the content, continue to leave comments. I appreciate y'all, all right? So check this out. Until the next. Hashtag Situation Saturday. Yo, I'm out.